Mary had a little lamb. Her fleece was white as snow. Everywhere the lamb went. Then, right, enough of that. This is episode 78, Bricks and Mortar podcast. We're back. We're going to tell you a little bit about what's happening behind the closing date. This week's episode, I'm going to talk sourcers, okay? Sourcers, you got to love them, you got to hate them. We're going to have a little chat about sourcers. And what about solicitors? Got a little bit of a bone to pick about solicitors. Uh, so I'm going to talk about that. And then we've got a couple of tips on buying property. And we'll round off the episode with something that I've snaffled from a podcast. This guy talks about the eight pillars of trust. We all know that if we're running a business and we're looking to try and increase the amount of people that we're selling things to, we need to get them to know, like and trust us. And what this guy is saying is that trust is the biggest element gentleman by the name of David Horsager and he has a great book called The Trust Edge. It's been out for years and years and years. I only came across it when I was listening to the One Thing podcast when I was out for a run on Saturday. So we'll have a little chat about that. But listen, let's circle back round and talk about the market. It is still bonkers, bonkers, bonkers out there. No stock. I've been speaking to estate agents, letting agents, solicitors, and there is just a complete lack of stock. Southside estate agents are telling me as soon as they get stuff on, then it's just going. And what some people are doing is that they're kitchen sinking it. And as I've said to anybody who listened to me, kitchen sinking, very difficult to beat the kitchen sink offer. And what's happening is that there is now, I think, a mentality amongst the purchasers that they want to try and avoid as much as they possibly can the closing date and what they're going in at is they're just going in with a humdinger of an offer in the hope that they blow the competition away and it's it's an interesting tactic I have to say I think if you take the view that the seller is only concerned about securing their new property and if you can do anything to assist with that then it's got some makings of a really good idea. The major problem, obviously, is that if they don't accept your offer, you've shown what your potential offer is going to be. So I would always suggest that if you're going to go in with a humdinger, I would still leave some petrol in the tank. But it's amazing how many people, no matter what the estate agents tell their clients, if somebody offers a crazy offer over the home report value... There's a lot of pressure, internally a lot of pressure on the seller to accept that offer, especially if it's going to mean that they can then move forward with their purchase. Because let's all be honest, the seller is not interested in the property that they've been living in. They're only interested in their new property. And as I say, if you can make all that problem go away with regards to the sale in one fell swoop, then you've got a probably not, not a bad and sound tactic. Let's talk about stories here. So let's talk about a property in Muir End. It was HR'd, home reported at 380, 91,000. I'll say that again, 91,000 pounds over the home report. It came on the market for a day 
One day, somebody came in with a bonkers offer. They had 70 viewers, apparently, and the poor people at the state agents had to phone the 70 viewers to to uh, to cancel. So they had 70 people who wanted to book and they got this offer in and they had to then phone the 70 back. I mean, imagine phoning 70 people. Let's say that that takes... I mean, that that's a whole day's work for somebody. What an absolute nightmare. But they kitchen synced it and they got away with it. Let's talk about Ibrox. Again, Southside Home Report, £65,000. Go in at £76,000 with their best offer. 17 offers. One seven for a pokey little flat in, in, in Ibrox. They were fourth out of 17. Fourth out of 17. Just so, so difficult for everybody. Let's just hope that there's more stock that comes onto the market because really this this cannot cannot continue because there's going to be a lot of people who are buying at the height of the market if they're buying their first properties um, I mean I, t- I spoke to the estate agent about that one in Muirhead Muirend rather and that's £91,000 over home report value you've got to be thinking there's no way how are they going to claw that back £91,000 over home report value you're not clawing that back for years and years and years so that's got to be their forever property. Let's talk Paisley. Yes, it's even going down as far as Paisley. Let's talk an offer made, 14 offers. We were five, six grand over home report value and we were in the middle of the pack. So it is all over the place, this madness. So we need to get more properties on the market so that we get an equalisation as far as purchasers and sellers. And let's let's just hope it's happening. I mean, we're talking now, I'm talking this in 1st of March. Generally, we're starting or should be starting to see a lot more properties coming onto the market. But it, it just seems a little bit sketchy from speaking to the estate agents that I've been speaking to. So that's a little peak behind the closing date. Let's talk about sourcers. Um, One of the people I was talking to during the week was interestingly saying that rents in the city centre are struggling. So they're having to look at potentially reducing city centre rents because there's not so many people who are wanting to rent property in the city centre. And I guess who can blame them? The place is, is, is quiet. So if you've wanting to 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 rent a property in this in the city centre, I'm guessing what you want is you want that city centre vibe. And if the city centre vibe isn't there, then you know, are you really wanting? I mean, it's not even as if you're going to have to go to work from the city centre because you'll end up having to work from home. So city centre. So that's sort of also adds up with regards to the city centre and the the slump there as far as prices are concerned. The person I also spoke to was was talking about sourcers and um, they were looking for property and they've always been in the market for looking for property and, and they speak to a lot of sourcers who come to them with deals. Uh, and this person's really switched on and, and knows the market. And a couple of sources have, have pitched in and they've pitched this person properties that are on the open market. And the reason that she knows this is because she's done her homework, OK? And 
I can't understand how somebody who calls himself a sourcer tries to sell something that they claim to be off market where it, it, it's patently not off market. Now, I, I think from a sourcer's point of view, and I think all uh, those who are trying to flip property or, or sell deals, it's a hell, hell of a difficult thing to do at the moment because generally if you've got any understanding of the market, you're going to throw the dice and you're going to get an estate agent out because it appears that anything and everything is selling. So your distressed properties, your those who are um, getting divorced or getting death, uh, these are, are the areas where the sourcers try and buy stuff that is off market or those who are struggling financially. I can understand that there is a difficulty out there. But if you're saying to somebody that you're trying to do them a deal and you're you're showing them value because ultimately that's why you do well at your job as a sourcer is because you're able to add value you you'll leave some cash on the table you'll make some money for yourself but you'll also make it a decent enough deal for the person that you're selling the deal for. But it would be interested to hear anybody else's take on the sourcers. I know they get a bad rap, but I think there are some good ones out there. But I think that if you're buying anything from a sourcer, you yourself really have to do your homework. Unless, of course, you've you've got a really strong relationship. And I guess this goes on to what we're talking about later, about the eight pillars of trust, that if you've got a strong relationship with a sourcer, then you probably don't need to do as much of your homework. But if you're buying from a sourcer first time round, you've got to do a little bit of due diligence just to make sure that you are getting a decent deal. So that's my, my gripe about sourcers. Let's go on to solicitors. So I've had a couple of instances recently where We've had clients who have said that they've got their own solicitor and they're going to use that uh, solicitor, but that solicitor is refusing to put an offer in without having a decision in principle, which I have to say I find somewhat strange having been a solicitor for uh, the best part of 30 years. I don't think I've ever had a situation where I've asked a client to get a decision in principle. I just I just don't think that it it merits it. Now, I have heard some stories of estate agents, for example, one of the big multi-chains, saying that they won't allow somebody to view a property unless they've got a decision in principle. I mean, what a lot of nonsense that is. What an absolute lot of nonsense. I mean, the, the times that I've come across that, I've just phoned the estate agent up and said, listen, I have had a look here. There's no issue with regards to the uh, the decision in principle. Just let them go and have a look at the property. I mean, I just... Uh, is it because you are wanting to make sure that they're not a tyre kicker? But what what difference is that between what's happening now and what happened a, a year ago? You know, it's, it's no more difficult. Yes, you've got to get a deposit, but there's no more difficult getting a mortgage now than it was a year ago. 
So I just don't understand why everybody's saying the, the decision in principle. Anyway, so this uh, a client had asked me to, uh, I said, well, listen, I don't think you need to do the decision in principle. And we were in a negotiation where it was you know, quite tight as far as timescales are concerned. And it would have probably taken us the best part of a day to get the decision in principle in place, by which time, you know, we would have had a day's delay in going back to the solicitor who would then make the offer. So I said to the client, I said, listen, I can wear two hats, uh, solicitor involved here. And I, I just think we'll just phone the estate agents up. It was um, estate agents out in Bears Den. I said, listen, I, I know them. I've known them for 25 years. I picked the phone up and I just said, listen, here's the property. This is what we're going to, to offer. And it so happened that they already had had an offer on the table, but they were prepared to look at our offer and they've gone back and, and they've gone to go and, and speak to their client. But had we waited another day, then we would have definitely lost the property because the estate agents had told me that they had got an offer that had been verbally agreed, uh, but they would go back to their client just to see what their client would say about it. Now, it may well be that we don't get the property, but what I'm saying is that had we required to get a decision of principle, we would have definitely not got the property because we would have gone back to them yesterday, tomorrow, and uh, by that time they would have had the offer accepted, the uh, legal offer would have been in, and it would have been accepted, and there would have been even less chance of us getting our offer in the table. So I think asking for a decision in principle you know, I can understand why you would want to think about doing that. But it's wasting time. And time is not what you have in this current market because it's moving so, so quickly. So listen, if you're out there and, you know, your solicitor asks you for a decision in principle, kick back on that because I'm not convinced. I, I don't think that that's going to make your offer stand out to such an extent that, it's going to be accepted ahead of, of any other offer. So I would push back on that, especially if you want to try and get that offer in because the decision in principle potentially, depending upon your circumstances, you know, could take half a day and half a day could mean the difference between you getting the property and not getting the property. Listen, enough of that. Let's talk about tip of the day. When you're buying a property, as I always stress to my clients, location, location, location. You know, we bang on about it all the time, but it is absolutely the number one thing. People ask me, where do I think the market's going? And honestly, nobody's got a crystal ball. I had been thinking that, you know, once furlough, once we all come out of, of furlough, then that could really affect the economy. But I was looking today about the bounce factor. So what... I would be saying as far as buying a property is concerned is that if you've started to look at a property, you should not be so focused, absolutely focused on the price. You need to know that the property is going to work for you because ultimately, if the property is not going to work for you, okay, then you're not going to be happy in the property irrespective of what price that you have paid. I think the price is one of the factors that you have to consider. And it's difficult because if you are hearing stories about properties that are going for way in excess of home report 
and you get yourself into a situation where potentially you could buy a property at or close to home report value, then you sometimes might be thinking, well, it doesn't have this and it doesn't have that and I'm not so keen on that, but it's a home, it's at home report and you almost get sidewinked by the price and you cannot do that. The most important thing is location and then when you're starting to look at a property, you must have a wish list. And as far as compromising on the wish list, I think you've got to give yourself a good long time to test the whole of the market just to see if that wish list is achievable. Now, it might not be achievable and it might be that you'll have to compromise on a number of things. But I think that you've got to give yourself a chance in the open market just to see whether or not the property that you really want is out there. OK, so that's my tip of the week there for buying property. Location, location, location. It's an old adage, but just make sure that once you started the process of buying a property, don't compromise. OK, see if that property is out there, because Ultimately, if you do compromise, it will be the first thing that you moan about when you're eating that pizza on a Friday night. Don't compromise. Listen, let's talk about pillars, pillars of trust. So this guy, David Horsager, eight pillars of trust. So what he's saying is that everything of value is built on trust. You'll pay more for the trusted brand, follow the trusted leader and buy from the trusted salesperson. He says that trust is the single uniqueness of the greatest leaders, organisation and the brands of all time. Trust is the root cause. It amplifies marketing, speed of sale and is the only way to leverage the benefits of diversity. Trust is so, so important. So he's defined eight pillars of trust and at the back end of this, I'll give you my thoughts on what I feel are the, the three most. Certainly, when you're trying to convert a lead into a client, I'm going to give you what I feel, in my job anyway, what the three uh, most important are. He's got this book called The Trusted Edge. Uh, go away and read it. I think the podcast was on The One Thing. So if you go on to the podcast, The One Thing, and then... Uh, Look for David Horsager, H-O-R-S-A-G-E-R, Pillars of Trust, then I'm sure it will come up. So let's talk about the Pillars of Trust. The first one is clarity. And what he says here is that people trust the clear and mistrust or distrust the ambiguous. So what you need to do is you need to be clear about your mission, your purpose, expectations, and even more your daily activities. When you're clear about priorities on a daily basis, then you're going to become productive and effective. Next one, he talks about his compassion. He says that people put faith in those who care beyond themselves. There's a huge scepticism that people have about whether someone really has their best interests in mind. He uses the phrase, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's not just an, an old saying, the it's the bottom line truth. Follow it and you have a good way of building trust. Next one, he talks about his character. People notice those who do what is right 
ahead of what is easy. Again, you will have found that yourself. It's always difficult to do what is right rather than what is easy. But if your client sees what you're doing is right, then that will be a huge way of being able to build trust. There's no doubt about that. Contribution is the fourth one. Few things build trust quicker than actual results. At the end of the day, people need to see outcomes. So if they're coming to me for a mortgage, they want to see that I can get them a mortgage. You can have as much compassion and character, but without the results you promised, nobody ain't going to trust you. Competency. You need to know what you're doing. People have confidence in those who stay fresh, relevant and capable. Your humble and teachable person keeps learning new ways of doing things and stays current on ideas and trends. I guess with the mortgage side of things, we've got to know what the market is. And on a monthly basis, that's one of the reasons why on a monthly basis, I will deliver the best rates for first-time buyers, remortgages, house moves and buy-to-lets. Connection. People want to follow, buy from and be around friends and have friends is all about building connections. Trust is all about relationships and relationships are best built by establishing genuine connection. He talks about developing the trait of gratitude. And if you can develop the, the trait of gratitude, then you will become a magnet. Two to go. First one's commitment, and then we're on to consistency. Commitment, what he says is people believe in those who stand through adversity. He talks about pattern. Martin Luther King, Gandhi, George Washington. They saw commitment and sacrifice for the greater good. So if your clients see that you are committed, then ultimately that is definitely going to build trust. Consistency. The little things done consistently that made the biggest difference. So let's say you're carrying a couple of pounds. It's because you've eaten too many calories over time, not because you ate too much yesterday. Same in business. Consistently do the little things and it will make for a higher value of trust and better results. It's one of the things that they talk about, isn't it, when they talk about social media, that you've got to be consistent. And again, Trust is one of these things that you build up slowly over time. But watch out because you can lose it very, very quickly. Very, very quickly. But you, you, So you need to be consistent. So for me, in taking a lead into a client, what I'm looking to concentrate on as far as the eight C's are concerned is clarity, competency and consistency. So clarity, I need to be telling the clients at a very early stage as to whether or not there's any issues that we're going to be facing. I need to be honest with them and tell them, listen, this is going to be a struggle or it's going to be a penalty kick. And in addition to that, we need to have clarity on what this is going to cost the client. Give them the fee structure. They want certainty. They don't want any wishy-washy it might cost you this, it could cost you that, it just depends. 
we're absolutely transparent. I mean, that's one of the, the three core values, transparency, competency and education. Competency, well, that goes on to talk about the excellent side of things. People are coming to me for a mortgage. They're not coming to me for anything else. They need to know that I'm good at my job and I can get what they're looking for. So if if you're listening to this, analyse how you get your clients. And out of those eight, which of the three that you think are the most important in order for you to develop trust? I think they're all important, but there may be three there that stand out for you. Finally, we talked about it earlier for the social media, the consistency. But it's not just stemming from the, the social media side of things. It also stems from if you tell a prospective client that they're going that you're going to do something, you should make sure that it gets done. So if I'm saying to a client, I'll give you the research and I'll send it out to you today or tomorrow, it is absolutely vital that whatever you say you back up with action. So we'll go through all the eight. We've got clarity, compassion, character, contribution, competency, connection, commitment, and consistency. Go and have a look at the book. Have a listen to the podcast. It was quite eye-opening to me, I have to say. And I've listened, you know, I haven't read the book, but it's probably going to be one that I'm going to either download, get it onto my Kindle, or get the physical so that's us 25 minutes. I'm going to sign off now. As far as people have been asking us about how we follow you and you know how, how you can um, help the show. Well, one way that you can help the show is to obviously tell people about it and get them to listen. The second way you can do is to follow us on Instagram. So you could type in Bricks and Mortar Mortgages onto Instagram and follow us there. We've got, got some good stuff there. I try and get uh, something out on a daily basis, whether it's a video, whether it is uh, something about the mortgage industry, something about uh, my life. We try and make it interesting. Uh, Facebook, again, we've got a Facebook group there, Bricks and Mortar Mortgages. Please go on to that and like, share, whatever you do on Facebook and then LinkedIn. I'm always posting on LinkedIn. So anything that goes on to uh, the Instagrams, the Facebooks also get shoved on to LinkedIn. So I'm rounding off there. I do hope you've enjoyed that one. I felt it was important to talk about the sourcers and just get that bugbear as far as the solicitors are concerned tip of the week hopefully you're going to find that helpful and then of course your eight pillars of trust great to get some feedback from you guys i'm signing off now have a great week in property and remember pick up the phone call johnny start packing mm-hmm.